so you have a cadre of messages for a certain audience. And I think ultimately the other part of that is, is about making discrete choices because you can't do it all. The messaging has to be aligned, whether it be digital, whether it be in a salesperson's pitch deck or just hallway conversations from, from a clinical team. So I think it's about the, the new marketing support, if you will, in a region it does dramatically change. And I think it's about working with that sales organization because they've changed too, to make sure that the messages still get across, the relationship is still there and that the customer ultimately sees value in what we're saying. Welcome to Digital Surfing. I'm your host, Darren Smith. On this podcast, we speak to leaders in digital and they provide us insights that they've gained in the digital world throughout their career. Today's guest is Joe McCaldrick, who is the Senior Director of Global Digital Marketing at ICU Medical. With over 25 years experience in the healthcare industry, Joe has demonstrated success in field marketing, product management, finance operations, market research, and e-commerce. This show is great if you're interested in enterprise, e-commerce, and as well as e-commerce that touches both the physical environment and the digital environment. Let's go and meet Joe. Joe, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Hey, no problem. Great to be here. So I want to start off with a basic question. How did you get into digital marketing? Well, it's a good question because I never saw myself working in digital. I've had a lot of friends in digital and I, I always had been in a business marketing role. And so three and a half years ago, four years ago, in a prior company, I was providing feedback, in other words, complaining a bit about our lack of ability in digital and e-commerce. And so my boss at the time said, well, great, why don't you go figure it out? And so that was one of the, the impetus that me said, and, and also, so I looked at it and said, hey, what a great opportunity to just continue to reinvent yourself. And so that's where I dove headlong in and really tried to learn as I went and really took on the responsibilities for both digital and e-commerce. And, and for me, it was a great opportunity to learn something new, be surrounded by the people who really knew what they were doing and for me to learn from them. And so it was out of my own complaining and I was told, well, then great, then you go fix it. And it's the best move I ever made to understand such an important component of business to business marketing. So it it really has been a a great ride in the last three and a half years. If I stick on this topic, I know that one of the things that you really kind of disagree with is when people say digital marketing is different to other types of marketing. Why do you disagree with that statement? I disagree with it. I think people propose that sometimes so that people recognize that the demand or the need for digital is important. But the reason I, I don't agree with it directly is marketing is marketing. And that is identifying who your customer is, like who is your audience, right? What is the value proposition that you want to convey to that audience? Where are they along their customer journey? And then, right, what's the messaging that you want to provide to them? I think that's true whether you're doing it across anywhere in the omni-channel scope, right? Whether it be a salesperson, whether it be via a brochure, and I hate that, you know, but even snail mail, right? I think it's the same discipline. And I think if we stay with that discipline and know that digital is such a critical and now, of course, ever-increasing component of that channel, that's how I want to look at it. Because also it, it helps with the change management to get people to come over to that to realize that, yes, I have to add this because of, you know, my channel pie. If I have my mix, it's the marketing mix. It's it's no different than what we've had to do before. It's just that digital is now a bigger part of that pie. And so I think that's why I try to position it as one piece of the pie, although it being an ever-growing piece of it. 
I couldn't agree with you more. So one of the things I can't agree with you, though, is something that I read about you that you love medical policy. Is that right? (laughs) Well, it's it's one of those dark secrets, right? So when I was in graduate school some 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was actually doing an internship in the state house policy development. It was back when healthcare policy was changing dramatically, and I got very much involved in it. And so I was still a bit of a nerd to read up on things as we go from in the States here, uh, where, you know, being sure that there's uh, insurance for all healthcare for everybody, but also how to do it. Yeah, I know it's something that I still follow because ultimately, at least in the States and even around the world, that's where the money is, right? So if you follow the dollar and understand how dollars flow within the healthcare system, sadly, because it shouldn't, but it does, even in single payer systems around the world. I think if you know where the dollar is following, you're following the dollar, then you actually know how to market to those people. So it's been a hobby, but I've also done for that reason. <laughs> All right. Well, if we carry on the stream of medical. So at the moment, you're in medical devices. And obviously, over the last period, it's been quite a challenge being able to see customers face to face. And a lot of people have switched to alternative means. If I look at the conferencing industry, you know, there's been lots of virtual conferences. And but when it comes to medical devices, I mean, it could really is about you know, doctors and so on being able to see that device, play with that device. How is the industry overcoming this kind of challenge? In future, maybe there's going to be more of a preference for less face-to-face meeting. Like, how's the industry overcoming this? Oh, I think that is one thing that is coming out of this pandemic is that I think two years ago or when every salesperson became an inside salesperson because they couldn't go see their customer. I think in the medical device industry, it was even uh, more acute because certainly we're going to be led into a hospital, right? With the hospitals completely jam-packed with patients and physicians and clinicians working, you know, in COVID wards and so forth. So yet the demand for innovation and device was was even higher than it ever was before. And so I think what the industry has done to adapt is probably still looking at the same customer buying journey, but figuring out a different way to get there. And I think when you look at virtual demonstrations, I saw companies that I were working at or had worked at in the past setting up virtual showrooms almost, right? And there was one gentleman I know from a prior company, he actually built one in his garage. He had a video camera with the, the screen behind him and was able to do virtual demonstrations of an ultrasound machine in his garage for his customers. And so I think companies though are, are adapting that sales enablement capability because you have to be able to still communicate with your customers more effectively. That is here to stay because I think customers along their decision journey probably want more information more quickly. And then when it gets down to say later around decision process, right, or consideration and decision in a medical device, that's when you start seeing probably a little more around the in-person meetings. Earlier on, I think you're going to see a lot more requests for things like Zoom meetings and, and virtual demonstrations. From what I understand about medical sales is there's a large element of personal relationship networking and so on. Like, is that getting replaced or is it just no longer? I don't think that'll ever get replaced. When you think of the B2B approach in medical sales, I think you have an approach where committees are making the decision, right? And so it's the cross-functional, whether it be finance and operations and clinical and nursing and so forth. And so at the customer level, you still have this multidisciplinary committee that makes decisions. I think the relationships will still be critical because you have clinicians start selling to clinicians still at a certain level and that there's a level of trust there. I think that that hasn't gone away. And I think whether it be like this in uh, video or 
because I think everyone's conditioned to it now. I think that will never go away. I think it, it won't become a commodity. No one's buying an MRI on Amazon or something like that. I think it'll be ultimately about still having that level of trust because making a change in medical device is so significant. When you think about all of the training requirements, all of the regulatory requirements that they have, when they make any change, that is a a large trust level. And I think we are far away from people just making blind switches. I think the the ability to have that level of trust was always going to be there. And I, I really do, even today, I think you start seeing people being in the hospital more often for that reason. And I think there's a lot of recovery now in the healthcare industry and and having solutions and technology that help, for example, the nursing staff, right? Great opportunity to provide informatics or other tools that help very worn out healthcare workers. Anything we can do to provide that sort of solutions and capability now will really show you as a partner to help them with, uh, in their time of need. So that'll never go away. And in terms of that relationship management, also stories I've heard in the industry, is the medical industry advanced enough in that it's got CRM platforms and one sales rep can see what the other sales rep saying and, you know, seeing the visits that have happened at the different hospitals and be able to mine that kind of data. Is that happening or not really? It's starting. It's happening. The larger organizations within the medical space whether it be biotech or large companies like Siemens and GE and Philips and so on. I think, yeah, they've made those investments. And I think the lower end where they're more of a startup, they've made those investments. The middle piece of vendors are starting to get there because I think it's a requirement now. It's no longer, uh, so that would be great. It's no longer just on the relationship. It's really about that the team cell within the organization to help provide that. So I think CRM has, has been there. CRM adoption effectively is probably maturing that's happening across the board. That's the next level where it's not just CRM, but it's the overall omni-channel approach with automation from a marketing capability all the way across the board, right? So that all along the the customer's decision journey, right? That you're making choices about how you want to convey your messages, whether it be through a digital component, through the salesperson, through the clinical specialist, for example, right? So you have a, a cadre of messages for a certain audience. And I think ultimately the other part of that is is about making discrete choices because you can't do it all. The messaging has to be aligned, whether it be digital, whether it be in a salesperson's pitch deck or just hallway conversations from from a clinical team. So I think it's about the the new marketing support, if you will, in a region does dramatically change. And I think it's about working with that sales organization because they've changed too, to make sure that the messages still get across, the relationship is still there and that the customer ultimately sees value in what we're saying. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter if we are. What you said there about getting the messages across is really important. With so much communication having gone digital over the past two years, there is so much noise. And to actually stand out from the crowd, I think that's where CRM really plays an an important part to be able to personalize and send relevant information at the right time. That's very true. And the thing I would also put on top of that is, is that if all of the different sales trainings I've ever sat through in the last 20 years, right? One of the things is always that you wanted to have some bit of a hook though for the next action. And so from a digital perspective, the whole call to action, it has to be the same. And I think that's where I actually just explained this to a sales leader recently was what is the call to action basically, right? From a digital perspective. And I think that's true is you want the customer to do something at the end so that you can then follow on. And I think Digital has an advantage around a call to action because it may just be more information or it may be furthering down the decision process. I think that was uh, something that really helped me articulate 
the value of digital as it relates to a broader sales and omnichannel approach. Yeah. So you said something earlier about we're not going to sell an MRI on Amazon, but you know, how far away are we actually from doing something like that? I think two things. One of the things is that when I think about the transactional piece of it, right? And certainly at the end, there's this transaction that whether it's $100 or $50 or $2 million, I think ultimately the transaction piece is, is often separate, right? From the, the actual evaluation, consideration, selection phases. I don't think we'll ever sell an MRI because ultimately you have to be able to go see it. But even like a patient monitor or something else that's more visible that you could bring into a hospital, I think ultimately the clinicians or the technicians still need to see it, right? They still need to see the technology. They need to have it demonstrated by, by well-articulate and well-informed specialists. So I think ultimately, maybe from a transactional perspective, we can get back on the back end of transactions. There's still so much noise and fallout that happens that the better we can on the transaction side at the end so that there aren't any problems in terms of validation, payment, and that sort of thing. I think that will improve. Now, you know, I've, when I've talked to customers, one of the things that I really picked up on a couple of years ago is the larger organizations in healthcare, whether they be government or large integrated networks in the States, is they hold their vendors, their companies to much higher standard now, right? And they have scorecards of their vendors that we, ha- we as vendors have to really be thinking about. It's not just about how do we treat our customers? How do, we, how do they see us at, from a sales and product perspective, but how are we as a, as a supplier, just purely supplier, right? Do we st- ship stuff on time? Or is our pricing correct all the time? All of those things, which cost money to our customer. And I think it's a, a hidden cost that the frontline folks, whether it be sales or the person making the decision, they don't see it as often, but the four folks in finance and purchasing and so forth, that it's a huge problem for them. And so I think any company that can be better at that will be better off too. And so- if people have that vision to be able to sell on Amazon and have to actually engineer a customer experience with less friction, that's going to result in some of these improvements. If I've just bought a million dollars worth of ventilators from company A, and I'm also considering the purchase decision around a million and a half dollar MRI or CT scanner, yes, right? I mean, as long as the clinical folks are happy and I'm buying three of these for my large health system, if I know that the service is good, that the, the friction is low for, for transactions, it's easy to, I mean, we've all had that in our own personal lives, right? It's easy to contract with a company or whatever it might be. Purchasing people are the same way within health systems, right? They, they don't want to deal with onerous terms or different terms. So yeah, no, I think anytime a company can create a much more frictionless uh, approach and make it easy to do business with, they're going to raise up on their scorecard. So one of the other perceptions that I've experienced in the industry in digital, at least, is removing these friction points, making it easier to buy and engage and post-sale service is the job of digital. And if you look at companies that have disrupted, whether it be the cliched Ubers and so on, they've disrupted because they've gone digital. But actually, people have done studies and see, well, it's actually their customer experience that they've disrupted digital has just been a delivery mechanism for that customer experience. I mean, where's your viewpoint in digital versus customer experience and how it comes together? From a B2B perspective, I think making sure that the disruption point is additive, not disruptive, right? It's disruptive in a positive sense. I think ultimately we have to start again back with the customer and what they're trying to do. And I think if we add in digital or e-commerce along that journey appropriately, 
I think we have to be mindful of it first and not just say, oh, well, we will do this, right? So from an awareness perspective, right? But really have very few salespeople doing it. I, I think it's a matter of looking at the customer's journey in terms of buying and fitting in digital along the way. Because I think like Uber was able to just snap on and start, right? I know it took time, but in a mature industry, you have to find the quick win points for digital so that the adoption rate, both internally in your company to accept it, as well as the customer being able to consume it. I think that's really very much around awareness, as well as some of the decision process that they're making. And I think the other part that we haven't addressed here, but I think is also so critical, is post-sale engagement, right? Now you really have to be able to build, especially in a B2B high trust area like medical device, it's about, sure, I've just spent a bunch of money with you, but I want to be able to continue this relationship, whether it be training, a follow-on supply, problems of education or you know, instructional fees, whatever it might be, that engagement process is so critical in healthcare because healthcare systems, they have new staff every month, right? Why wouldn't you want to have online on-demand training for that staff so that they know how to use that monitor, defibrillator, you know, CT scanner? So I think that engagement will then set you up for that next big purchase. So digital plays a huge role mm-hmm. in that. And I couldn't agree with you more on that post-sale experience part. Like if I look at our own attribution reporting, the number one source of new customers is past customers and sure. people that have moved from one company to the next company. And they said, you know what? We really enjoyed working with you. We're going we're gonna to come back more than what Google AdWords or anything else is doing. It's that result of that good post-sale experience. Right. And it's trust. It goes back to trust, right? And, and if I know you and I've worked with you, I... We'll trust you here and I'll trust you the next place I am. And I, th- I think anybody who has new roles, especially if they're in a more senior role in a, any organization, we'll call it a healthcare system or, or a medical device company, is you then bring with you this cadre of not just knowledge, but of contacts and people within an industry. And so if the better you mm-hmm. can serve overall, the better off you will be in the future. So now whether you're a small consulting organization or a large device company, I think that's, that's true no matter what. Okay, so you've been giving us some great e-commerce advice and inputs and feedback today. I just want to point out that to the listeners that you actually did build Philips e-commerce or part of that. I don't know what exactly what your role in the whole thing was, but it ended up being a $950 million business. What was your role in that before I ask the next question? So that was my complaining. That's how it got into digital. And so we had a very disparate approach to digital and e-commerce. So they were across different businesses. So you imagine a large organization, right? And so the role I played was I was put in the leadership role to put it all under one tent, one organization, standardized on it from a tool set perspective, because there were various types of tools that were available, whether it be from a digital admission platform, having uh, e-commerce tools, so the actual shop. So we had to look at what we had, again, try to consolidate and build over time. And uh, the e-commerce component of it was uh, shop, but also EDI. And so the transactional side of it. And so we also had that across multiple companies and organizations that were you know, over time acquisitions. And so we pulled that together as one organization that had platforms that were coming together and had the accountability, right? For an e-commerce of this $950 million business. And so I became as much as I am as a marketing guy, I was also an owner of a channel. And so I was on monthly and quarterly forecast calls and update calls that I owned a number. And if I didn't, hadn't met the number that month, I was 
also involved with, you know, any gap filling and so forth. So I was a, a sales or a channel leader as well, which was really a great experience. And so I also worked with sales leaders. My success was their success. And so that was the other piece of it is that I was at the table owning a number that was going to also help them. And I think that really was from an engagement perspective. So when I went to them needing help, they were all in because I knew I had skin in the game and that they, like I said, my success was their success. If you were back there again, complaining about the digital and e-commerce environment and, and being made the leader, on reflection, if you were to do it all again today, what would you do differently? Differently, I probably would have started more with digital. I think we we started when we dove into the e-commerce side of it, largely because numbers, right? I mean, we had this significant, um, but I think we ignored the, the maturation of digital at the time. And I think we, I probably would have been, I would have brought digital earlier on sort of as the front end of things to help create more demand for all of our solutions we had from an e-commerce perspective. And I'll use a very simple example was that about seven, 10 months in, we had realized that our some of our product web pages didn't have a buy now button. I know that sounds simple, but we didn't. I was like, oh, we probably should have buy now buttons on our pages for all of our, right? So they were driving customers to these pages, but we had no call to action. And so one of the folks on my team, went, let's get on that. And so we did. And we basically, you know, for all the products that were relevant, created this sort of uh, buy capability and it took them right to the store, right? We didn't have that. And so we only looked at by, by piece. And so I think it was about the customer journey and that digital was a big part of transforming that customer journey to then get us to get them to, to purchase something online. It's probably the one thing that I would have done earlier because I think it would have helped us uh, in the end goal. Wow, that's incredible insights. Thank, thank you so much. Simple Joe. thing, right? Like, yeah. oh, we probably should have put a buy now button. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Mick, you spoke about call to actions several times on the on the podcast today. The importance of call to actions so important. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because ultimately, and, you, and go back to our own personal experience, right? If I'm looking at something and then I don't actually have a next hook, or it doesn't matter. And I think the other part is is your ability to then reach back out to your customer, and and that's true whether they were just downloading a white paper or whatever. It's the engagement component of this early on. I think MedDevice has really learned and picked up on, and it's a great opportunity to continue to build. Call to actions really resonate with me. I think my primary school motto was carpe diem, seize the day. It's been like really conditioned into me. If there's, if I do something, I must do it right away in the next step. Otherwise, it just gets put on the back burner. I never get to it. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks so much for coming on to Digital Surfing today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Okay, Darren. Have a good day. Take, take care.